0: i'm doug storm this is interchange our program today is the strange life of work duke ellington starts us off with work song from his extended composition black brown and beige written in 1943 In Life Without Principle, Our Great American Guide to Getting a Life, Henry David Thoreau wrote, Those slight labors which afford me a livelihood are as yet commonly a pleasure to me, and I am not often reminded that they are a necessity. So far I am successful, but I foresee that if my wants should be much increased, the labor required to supply them would become a drudgery. If I should sell both my forenoons and afternoons to society, as most appear to do, I am sure that for me there would be nothing worth left living for. I wish to suggest that a man may be very industrious and yet not spend his time well. There is no more fatal blunderer than he who consumes the greater part of his life getting a living. In The Problem with Work, author Kathy Weeks challenges the presupposition that work or waged labor is inherently a social and political good, Or in other words, why accept work as a necessary, even primary, element of our social organization? Weeks argues that in taking work as a given, we've depoliticized it or removed it from the realm of political critique. Weeks proposes a post-work society that would allow people to be productive and creative rather than relentlessly bound to the employment relation. Kathy Weeks teaches in the Women's Studies program at Duke University. She studies feminist theory, political theory, the critical study of work, and utopian thought. We begin the show with the basics. What is work? What are the different dimensions of work? Individual experience, social ideology, systemic and cultural mythos. We'll untangle and complicate these ideas and see that the most common notion of waged work for pay is not adequate enough to describe everything that requires labor while at the same time it imperiously expands into our lives in the new economy. Uh, um. The idea of work generally is one that, as strikes me, as almost impossible to entangle from most aspects of life. Um, you know, we obviously you talk about family, you talk about sex, you talk about uh, feminism, you talk about the ways in which we, uh, we should think about it politically. But it's depoliticized by it's just normative. You know, the way we see, we're constantly in it. Um, so, and which changed so much over time. You know, that's another part of the problem. I think that you address pretty well in this book too is just there isn't the same kind of work ethic perhaps or even the frame of work has changed so much that we can't apply those previous ethics so I guess we should start with your framework in itself which I I guess you start with uh, uh, Max Weber in particular Um, so I guess briefly if you can tell me what work is as you approach it in this book
1: the the You know, it, it's funny, because the, the definition of work is both very narrow and very broad. And I try to sort of fudge between the narrow definition and the broad definition. I think the narrow definition is the one that, you know, I think is what we usually refer to in common sense discussions of work, and that is waged work. Mm-hmm. And I think waged work really does sort of serve as the, you know, the epitome of what we think of as work. It's sort of the model of work against which we measure all other things as being more or less work-like. So I really focus mostly on waged work, although I, I recognize that if we think about work as a kind of system of social productivity with you know economically valuable or you know useful activities it encompasses much more Mm -hmm. so certainly you know as feminists have long argued it includes all the kinds of you know caring labor household-based labor what they called reproductive labor that makes the productive that is wage labor economy possible so work i think you know common sense, in terms of common sense, we usually think of it as waged work. And that's mostly what I'm talking about. But then trying to recognize that the system of waged work doesn't cover all of the economic activities that we engage in, if we think of economic activities as social productivity. Hmm. So again, I mean it both narrowly and kind of
0: broadly hmm. well it, it, again it's it's one of those things where you try really hard to figure out the, the, the point where you want to start at right so you talked about productive work reproductive work as well trying to uh, I guess again untangle these things or, or see them in the same light at the same time becomes difficult um, I I guess as a laborer myself in some fashion uh, you, you you question every day what this means to me besides a paycheck and part of part of this argument or part of this book I think it's, it's it's an interesting book in many ways, as much because of its theoretical nature, its utopian vision, etc., but also because it makes me simply stop and say, well, what do I want out of this that I'm doing, right? Um, this that I'm doing right now with you is work. I don't get paid for it, though. Is it work? It, I'm volunteering this time right now. I'm a volunteer here at this station. Um, do we call it work? And if it's work, how do I value it? You know, what's the productive capacity of it? You know, I'm helping the station put out product, et cetera. Uh, it's hard to be critical of that act, right? Part of this is trying to be critical of acting within those boundaries also. How do we criticize mm-hmm. these things we're doing ourselves, right? How do we yeah. say... I really don't know what this means to me if I think of it this way. Do I am I getting something out of it? How do I complicate those things? And to me, that's the the biggest and most interesting part of this discussion is that it requires that complication. How do we talk about it? How do we say more than I have to go to work? You know, how do we get beyond? I've got to go to work. Kathy, I've got to go to work. Now what? Right. (laughs) What are we supposed to do?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think part of what I'm trying to do is raise these questions mm-hmm. um, about the, the boundlessness of work mm-hmm. and the way, as you said, it becomes sort of integrated into all parts of our lives. And we, it's hard for us to even to recognize the borders between what's work and what's something else. Mm-hmm. Part of this is also because the something else, we always tend to imagine on the model of work. Right. Um, So even leisure time becomes sort of work like and something that gets measured. I wanted to sort of raise these questions about what counts as work mm-hmm. and, and to start thinking about work more systematically, mm-hmm. because I think, you know, we think about work all the time because we do it all mm-hmm. the time in one form or another. But we don't really have many opportunities to think about work as a system. So think about waged work as a system of income allocation. It's other things, too. It's also a system of kind of social belonging. Um, And and to think about not the problems with this job or that job relative to other jobs, but to the whole system. And to think about it as a way of allocating income and bringing people into relationships of social cooperation right,
0: right right
1: and that's what we don't have many opportunities to think about and that's what i'm trying to do is try to look at this larger kind of system and talk about the problems with that system mm-hmm. because we often get stuck in well there's this job and it's better than that job and if all the jobs look like this job which of course they can't right then everything would be fine. And those are certainly important discussions to have, and we should talk about better jobs and worse jobs and try to imagine how we can make more jobs into the better model. But again, I think some of the problems with work are at that systematic level, and I think that's what we need to start looking at. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm both trying to get people to think about it in terms of their individual lives and ask these critical questions, like what does work mean to me and what counts as work, you know, and what's better work and worse work? And what do I want to do with my life when I'm not working, however, you define <laughs> that? Right. But I also want us to sort of think about it impersonally as this larger system. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I think we don't really have many tools
0: for engaging in. Well, it's a, it's a strange thing, right? Like part of the question is how is it that we don't have those tools? How is it that we've, we've lived this particular economic system, this particular organization, at least in this country, you know, since we started basically. Um, But if you think of the, you know, industrial revolution and we have Marx and we have Thoreau uh, telling us, you know, we shouldn't be working uh, nonstop. Well, ever basically other than sustaining our lives. Um, and, and to see it as a constant within our particular framework, how is it that we don't have more of this kind of talk?
1: I know. I think that's just one of the most interesting questions. And I don't know if I have you a know, very satisfactory answer at this point. But I think part of it is just the way that work becomes so... Uh, personal because it's so important to who we are. We're supposed to you know treat work as kind of a highest calling and moral duty and we there's this whole mythology about what work will do for us where we'll realize our capacities as individuals. We'll be able to contribute to the common good. We'll live a life of meaning and purpose. We have these these really grand ideas, about what waged work is going to do for us. And we were taught to invest in these very personally, right, to imagine these as, you know, something that will give us, you know, individual meaning Hmm. and organize our lives around them. So, I mean, I think all of us are kind of encouraged to invest very personally in our relationship to work in the contemporary economy as well. Work becomes very, individualized, you know, Mm -hmm. as, you know, very few people now have the nine to five schedule that used to define what work was and what the working day was. It seems like everyone has a very different kind of relationship to work. They're not only doing different kinds of works, they have different kinds of schedules and rhythms involved. So our relationship to work becomes even more highly personalized and individualized so it then becomes i think very difficult to sort of zoom out yeah, and right. get you know see that bigger picture as part of as, as a consequence of the way that work becomes individualized
0: It's time for a break. Our song is by the Cannonball Adderley Quintet. This is the blues standard work song written by cornetist Nat Adderley and performed live in 1963. More with Kathy Weeks on the problem with work when Interchange returns on WFHB. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Today's program is about work. Why in the world do we agree to do it? Kathy Weeks, author of the book, The Problem with Work, published by Duke University Press, is our guest. In this segment, we talk about how we're asked to give more and more of our best selves to work. And in the process, we depoliticize this primary scene where we shape our identities within hierarchical assumptions of social and personal value. Your wages are the key to your becoming. It is it is a sneaky little trap there the the individualized personalized nature of it it's a, obviously calls to mind to me um, a recent movie that George Clooney did where you know he has to fire people up in the air is the name of it and uh, at the beginning they do interview people who've been fired and they're they're actual people who've been fired from their jobs and that's the issue primarily is how personal it is right they that was their life that was their family those were their friends the the institution the the corporation itself was something that meant something to them as part of that family of their, them, you know, their own relationship to that corporation was seen as familial, you know, versus, yeah. you know, this entity that pays me, you know, you do invest, you have to, I suppose, invest your life in some sense, right? We, we're yeah. stuck with that term investing there too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So I can, you know, I, I do understand these things and it is an excellent myth. You know, it's an excellent um, construction to imagine the the ways in which work does can do good things for you. I, I, another personal story. Again, I think that's where we get interesting here is that you continue to think, oh, uh, I got married uh, because I got a better job. I had a child because it seemed like I could. In the sense that, you know, you get, you sort of get through stages of life where you, you have the opportunity because you have greater wages. It's just a fascinating argument or discussion that, that you're right. We don't tend to have because we say, well, what, you know, if you have this conversation with somebody, you say, well, what, what next? What am I supposed to do? And you mention the, the hardest part now to me is that in some sense, work was political, because we had strikes, because we had great manufacturing forces, because we had giant factories with people in them. Still, there are dock workers that could make something happen today in a strike, um, which could stop work, stop stop economic flows, etc. But we generally work for ourselves, by ourselves, even within corporations now. So we don't even have the political strength of being workers anymore. There's no worker solidarity anymore.
1: Right. right. Absolutely, yeah, and I think the major decline of unions in the US in the post World War II era is part of this depoliticization mm, of work mm-hmm,
0: talking mm-hmm. yeah that's okay. and in this air in this year especially uh, you know the 100th anniversary of the russian revolution right uh, i've been reading a book and that's just a major part of it is and these numbers are fascinating right like uh, you know the the petrograd factory uh, you know 100,000 people on the street and you're just like what <laughs> right where, what? where those are like giant masses of people and i know that i'm not trying to romanticize i'm just trying to say that is a world i can't even conceive of anymore
1: right Right. And it's not because the problems with work have gone away. Right, right, They've morphed right, in right, some ways. Right. But I, I don't know anyone who doesn't have a problem with work. <laughs> right, right. Whether right. it's underwork, um, being under wage, being unemployed, being precariously employed or being overworked.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You know, these are all problems with work in some ways. Or when your work is not, you know, being remunerated with a wage and mm. all the kind of caring labor right. that people do and mostly women have traditionally done. You know, so all of these forms of social predict- productivity that aren't waged mm-hmm. as well. And I think if you add that up, everyone has a problem with work in yeah. one way or another. They're very different problems often, so we don't imagine there's any way for people come together to talk about these problems that seem so different. And yet, isn't it a little suspicious when this large system of waged work, which is our major system of income allocation. That's our big idea. Mm -hmm. That's the way that we're going to sort of survive economically Mm -hmm. is to attach people to wage work. That's our big idea. It's not working. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in major ways for, you know, huge parts of the population. Again, it's very, it is a puzzle. The fact that it's so depoliticized Given you know how monumental the problems right.
0: are well you made the you made the point and you you continue to make the point the the depoliticization if is a, like a function of that mythology right it 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 serves as that stopping point you know you you don't you don't investigate the mythology generally um and still right. as we try to what's a good thing about uh, weber in in this book and and generally is that it it creates or at least calls to calls your attention to the the sacredness or the mythology of this sacralized space of 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 doing again an obedient duty uh, of having it being uh, the thing that you you sort of put your whole soul into as much as anything else. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I mean I think part of this is also due to certain you know major changes in in work in the contemporary period, so that in some ways. When the jobs that most of us are doing these days, which are not in manufacturing, mm-hmm. are requiring us to bring more of our personhood to mm-hmm. work—right, our communicative capacities, our emotions, our affects, our you know our our ability to network and socialize—that these qualities are required of so many jobs in the service sector. Mm-hmm. And employers want us to bring more of our best selves mm-hmm. to work. When our attitudes and our capacities to communicate and to socialize are themselves the source of profit, then employers want people who are going to sort of, in again, this word, invest right. heavily in the job, right? And so that their attitudes and their social capacities will be productive for the employer's. So, I mean, I think in that sense, you know, when, when more and more employers want people who are creative and, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, engaged, but also they want them to be directed to the company's goals mm-hmm. so they don't have to be supervised very closely and they can be allowed to be somewhat autonomous, then you really want people – Who have a very strong work ethic, who are going to identify with that job and who are going to sort of suture all of their, you know, desires for personal growth and social contact to that job. And that's exactly what employers are looking for Mm -hmm. because our attitudes are productive. And when our attitudes are productive in that way, I think it's time to question, you know, wh- whose, whose purposes are being served by some of those attitudes and some of the ways that we elevate work over other kinds of activities mm. in past.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a little confusing, obviously, because uh, as we've talked through on this program uh, with many people about the neoliberal project of creating, you know, little uh, uh, infinitely repellent orbs of on- entrepreneurship, um, we're asked to uh, constantly just be selling ourselves uh, and that we have to invest in, not necessarily the company or the job, but we have to invest in the self. We have to invest in how we present the self and we have to sell the self because that's all you got, right? right? Because you are you are easily replaceable. Uh, right. This is, again, one of the, the weird things about work is generally you are not unique. But one of the things that we imagine is that, um, that it means something to be at work. It means something to be working. But what we've seen more often than not is how irrelevant you are to the process.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's really interesting too that we are, you know, again expected to be the perfect neoliberal subject who's constantly self-monitoring and enhancing their capacities in some ways and cultivating their talents and their skills, but all for this quite narrow purpose of enhancing our employability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that we're, you know working on the self is working on our employability. You have to craft ourself into a kind of person who's going to be attractive to certain kinds of organizations mm-hmm. specific kinds of purposes it's actually quite an odd you know way of organizing our our the the project of building a self mm-hmm. that is going to maximize its employability and that seems to be you know, the major qualification for what it means to be an individual.
0: today. Yeah, yeah it's shockingly metaphysical in many ways, like to try yeah. to understand what it is you're building, to try to imagine the value of you uh, has has been a real struggle, I think, uh, to try to think, how how am I being valued by anyone, right? To, yeah. As you're cast out into this space, like it used to be, you could imagine the family, you could imagine the workplace as valuing you. Um, and there's no real sense of that anymore. And you then have to become a massive narcissist to understand a way to, to value yourself enough that you can bounce from place to place and expect just to, just to get along everywhere or just be good enough that it doesn't matter if you get along anywhere, right? You just have lost any, like, I don't know. This is, this is the general question of untethering. Right, And yet work still remains like it's again, it's kind of that it's it's really an interesting dilemma with the book, too, to me is that we are untethered in work, right? We are untethered from our social systems anymore. And yet this is still a primary thing that we we don't think about other things. As you say, leisure becomes another way of working or defined against work.
1: Yeah, and and I mean there's another way maybe to think about this tethering and Mm. untethering of work and and using the language of instrumentalization. Mm. So in some ways work used to be, and in some cases still is, the paradigm of instrumental activity. Mm. Why do you do it? To get income Mm -hmm. so that you can live your life. I mean it's a very simple instrumental activity in some ways. Mm -hmm. And yet with the mythology of work it becomes – imagined as de in all of those ways so that income becomes only one of the sort of peripheral byproducts of this, that there's so many other supposed utilities of it that are not instrumental in that way, those untethered kinds of aspects of what work is. So it's a very strange mix mm-hmm. of purely instrumental activity. You do it in order to engage income, and yet we're discouraged from thinking about it that way or talking about it that way or treating it that way. Hmm. Um, and certainly, we don't want to sort of let on to our employers <laughs> that we have it that way, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, expected to have, you know, all, you know, a very different kind of relationship to the work in so many jobs. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, that's a question of the, the ethic we talked about, or we talk about, uh, and the work ethic and the idea that you, uh, that you have to work a particular way. If you don't work, Uh, If you're not working, and I think in one of your talks, you talk about indolence and sloth. And these are, this to me was a brilliant idea to think, you know, it's part of how we organize our class structures as well. And how we denigrate classes, you know, we denigrate the non-worker or the lazy worker, even as we visualize, I mean, we can see the groups we call lazy workers work the most. So it's very confusing, but it continues to be the way in which we hierarchically class ourselves. What kind of work do you do? You know, uh, that's yeah. that's still. I mean, that's still, I think, a major role of work.
1: Yes, and also the kind of um, you know that that idleness and sloth
0: mm-hmm.
1: are still sinful. The mm, way we do.
0: Yeah, oh, sure.
1: You know, even yeah. when they're unmoored from any kind of religious context, right, right. they still carry that charge of being sinful mm-hmm. there's, you know, there, 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 there's something more about the, the way that they violate mm-hmm. our understanding of who we should be as individuals and what we owe to one another and it's just it's fascinating to me how charged those terms continue mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. and I think again it's a testament and a, you know, a, a symptom of our overvaluation of work and the way that this mythology this romantic narrative of what work is and what it can do for us is just taken over our lives, and it seems to reign uncontested.
0: It's time for another break, and guess what? Here's another one titled Work Song." This is by jazz bassist, composer, and bandleader Charles Mingus, off of the 1955 album Mingus at the Bohemia. More on why we work, or maybe why we shouldn't work, when Interchange returns on WFHB. Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm on Interchange. My guest via Skype is Kathy Weeks, a Marxist feminist whose book The Problem with Work discusses the way work produces a non-person. Karl Marx mockingly posed the problem. The less you eat, drink, and read books, the less you go to the theater, the dance hall, the public house, the less you think, love, theorize, sing, paint, fence, etc., the more you save. The greater becomes your treasure which neither moths nor dust will devour, your capital. The less you are, the more you have. The less you express your own life, the greater is your alienated life. The greater is the store of your estranged being. Let's look at a couple of uh, terms that you use throughout or that are, uh, seem to me essential in, in your own work here in this book. Um, one, uh, I'd like uh, you to give me a sense of what it means to be a Marxist feminist before we go forward and talk about what a Marxist feminist thinks about work.
1: Ah, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I do identify as a Marxist feminist, whatever that might be. And so I'm really interested in this tradition, particularly. Um, beginning in the 1970s, of attempts by feminists to try to build on Marxist insights, to look at you know, traditional women's work mm-hmm. as um, something that was often, again, required for these major systems of work, but not recognized as work. You, know, you so that old phrase, you know, I, I don't work, I'm a housewife. Mm-hmm. You know, I think feminists were quite interested in that because all of this is clearly socially necessary work without which the economy could not survive, right. right? Because you need to reproduce workers on a day-to-day basis so they can go to work the next day. You need to reproduce a new generation of workers to take their place. Mm-hmm. This should be economics 101, and yet all of this is excluded right. from economic discussions right. and economic classes. And so I think Marxist feminists in the traditions that I'm really interested in were trying to think about how the you know a capitalist organization of work sort of intersects with major systems of gender hierarchy mm. and how they sort of fit together in certain kinds of ways mm. and particularly with a focus on on work um, and women's work and men's work and the gender division of labor both in the household in the institution of the heterosexual family but also in waged work the way that men and Women tend to be concentrated in occupations that, in some ways often in the case of women, are the waged equivalent of certain kinds of roles they were traditionally consigned to in the domestic realm mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. okay, so um that that makes obvious that makes obvious sense, right, in the sense that um, trying to understand a, a feminist perspective in this world of work. Uh, requires uh, obviously a, 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 a realization that it is f- far from an equal playing field. You know, part of part of the struggle, I think, throughout is that is is trying to one lift women into a um, equal uh, plane of work, but then having that actually maybe not be a good thing because it simply reproduces that that same dilemma. Uh, of of work being that cent- centerpiece of life and creating a waged issue as well. That that's how you gain value. That's where that's where you become the most important you you can be. And there's only one way to imagine life at that point. You know, as as a wage earner.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm particularly interested in this kind of minor tradition from the 1970s called wages for housework.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was you know, organized around this demand for wages for housework. And that was one of the things that that interests me. But I was much more interested in the way they talked about work more generally, because what they were trying to do, and I think this is a really difficult thing, is they were trying to say, you know, with this demand that we should get wages for housework, they're trying to say that housework and and they mean, you know, more than just housework, Mm -hmm. they mean domestic based care and labor for young and elderly people as well. but they when they want to say when they say we want to get wages for housework they're saying because this is economic activity, this is socially necessary labor right and we should be remunerated for it. It's part of the economy in the larger sense right So they're trying to say when we want wages for housework we're trying to say in, in the in most provocative terms possible because this is work. But at the same time, they were trying to say, but it's only work. Mm -hmm. It's just work, right? It's not this, you know, romantic labor of love in some ways that is supposed to be elevated in this kind of hallmark card genre way. They're trying to say both it's work, it's socially necessary labor that should be rewarded, but it's only work. And as work, it shouldn't be the whole of your existence, Right. It shouldn't be tied to something essential in your, you know, your personhood, in this case, as a woman or Mm. as a man. Um, And I and again, it's that double move that I think is really, really difficult to say, yeah, this is work. This is important. And it should be part of this system of reward that we've set up around work. But it's only work. It shouldn't be the whole of our existence. It shouldn't be sort of moralized Mm. or mythologized or, you know, associated with some kind of, you know, uh, evolved personhood or something
0: like that. Well, it's interesting how you can go in the other direction with it, you know, at the same time say, this is work, it's socially necessary labor, uh, but why are we rewarding these other kinds of labors? Not that I want to be rewarded for this domestic labor, but to question the function of reward of salary, of all those things to say, why not move in the other direction? So no, no one gets paid, right, right,
1: right. And I think that's another interesting way to read the demand, because Mm. I'm not convinced that they really, you know, in many cases, either thought they were going to get wages for housework or even wanted them in some ways i think the demand was doing some other kinds of work Mm. and i think that's another way to read it is there you know okay if we're going to give wages for housework what other things should we give wages Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. you know what about all the other people that are excluded from the wage system what about students Mm -hmm. right they're engaged in socially productive activity right of training their labor power and yet not only are they not waged, they have to pay right, a lot of right, money for right, this right. You know, privilege of making themselves you know, more employable in that sense. So, I mean, you could then expand it. And I think Wages for Housework was interested in that. What about mm. you know, the people who are excluded from the wage system? What about all of the people who you know, can't work in the way that the wage system demands that we work? The people who have other kinds of caring responsibilities – what about the people who are physically, or cognitively, or emotionally unable to work according to the model of the perfect wage worker today? Again, if we add this up, this is a lot of us. You're right. You know, what about all of those people who are marginalized or excluded from the system of waged work for all kinds of different reasons?
0: Yeah, it's um, again, as you say, it it. it It's a part of everything. One of the things I want you to focus on there, too, and as a part of the book and a part of what you're trying to do, is to uh, detail and define for us the idea of demand. Uh, As well as I think you, I don't know, if I guess you kind of contrast it with uh, uh, manifesto as well, you know, to try to say one is a reformist or reforming idea within a system and one is an attempt to uh, create an immediate transformation, I suppose, uh, a revolution.
1: Yeah, and I started to think about what a demand is and what it can do in reading wages for housework because obviously it was centered around this demand, demand for wages for housework. But when you read the, you know, there are various manifestos and writings, the proponents of wages for housework actually had a very complicated way of understanding what a demand is in some way. So on the one hand, a demand is, you know, it's a demand for reform. We want X and it's a very tangible kind of bumper sticker like reform in this case, wages for housework. But the proponents of wages for house were constantly said that a demand is not just a demand. It's also a perspective. Hmm. And that's what they were trying to point out, too, is that there's, you know, in order to advance a demand, you have to sort of argue for it. You have to defend it. You have to debate it. It also is a way of opening up a critical perspective on. The place of wages and what kinds of work is re- are rewarded with wages and, you know, what's the place of wage work in, in, in our lives? Mm-hmm. So a demand also is an opportunity to open up a conversation and a broader conversation about what work is and what should count as work, what counts as work now and how it's rewarded. And I think that's part of what they wanted to do with that demand is sort of, forced people to ask questions because the demand was so odd you know what right and it was just what are you talking about that's crazy (laughs) and in order to make sense of the demand you had to actually think through okay well what's work what's not why would housework be work and that's part of what they wanted to do with that demand and I think that's a nice way to think about it too and so I'm particularly attracted to some of these demands like wages for housework which are not I think of them as utopian demands. They're mm-hmm. not demands that are gonna you know, that we're likely to get anytime soon. But that they function very well to open up this critical conversation and to encourage a kind of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of these demands which have been kind of dismissed as being impractical or utopian in the bad sense. I actually find them quite productive in a lot of ways, particularly when some of these demands, like the demand for a basic guaranteed income, mm-hmm. were 10 years ago thought to be completely insane and are now getting a lot of hearing and a lot of discussion. So what can be seen as a thoroughly utopian demand in one moment can, through discussion and you know opening up different kinds of critical perspectives, can be something that's part of the current conversation in the case of basic income. Hmm. So, again, I'm interested in these demands that I think of as utopian demands, which can function both as a practical demand for reform that it can improve people's lives, wages for housework, maybe, definitely a guaranteed basic income, but that in the course of arguing for them can also encourage, I think, some really interesting and important discussions and self-reflection.
0: It's time for our last break. We'll listen to another version of the Nat Adderley composition, Work Song, this time featuring jazz guitarist Wes Montgomery, an Indianapolis native. This is off Nat Adderley's 1960 album, also titled Work Song. We'll return to our discussion about how we need to repoliticize the work imaginary when Interchange returns on WFHB. <laughs> I'm Doug Storm on Interchange. For our final segment, the focus is on how we reimagine life without work or with less work. We also discuss a guaranteed basic income and how even having that discussion is a step in the right direction in changing our attitude about work, a step toward the repoliticization of work. been talking about production and reproduction, this struck me also is that uh, a lot of uh, how we imagine becoming people has to do with what we receive in education, what we read, what we what we see, uh, what we hear from our parents, etc. We reproduce these ideologies that we're stuck in as well. Uh, this uh, struck me, too, is that um, how, how is it that we find a way to move beyond this imaginary? And I definitely appreciate the idea of demand. I definitely appreciate the idea of having these conversations. Uh, but being within the system, um, you know, we are continuing to reproduce this kind of imaginary that we can't think outside of. So I just, I think I read something today about Finland doing some kind of, or Sweden, I forget which which country it was, doing some kind of um, current experiment with 2,000, maybe 2,000 citizens where they've been paying them basically you know, a certain level of money for, for a, I don't think very long now, six months, but apparently they're already seeing certain kinds of benefits from this. It's easy to see that... I'd like that. You can easily say, you can easily say that that's a great idea. Just give money at a certain level. And if you want more money, then you can work for it. Um, uh, just the same thing with healthcare. We can have a certain level of healthcare. And if you want more healthcare, you can pay for it. you, know, you can go do it yourself. These are, you know, uh, national and socialized ideas, right? Uh, we hate these ideas that are social, you know, socialized ideas, socialism ideas are, are terrible in this country. But the idea of a guaranteed basic income makes me a little nervous in this country, because we have a welfare state, right? We have a, we have a thing that we're trying to shrink now and imagining uh, a government that says, okay, we'll have a guaranteed basic income and we'll do nothing else. You know, that will be what Mm. we do. And good luck with this money. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole idea behind, I think, privatized social security, right? You, You take care of yourself. Now we've given you this money. Yeah. Good luck. That's my fear, I guess, in this country. Now, you can see it in other countries where there's a different kind of social organization, where they care differently about each other, perhaps, or where they care differently about their own reproduction of people. This is, I think, a key aspect of it. Reproducing people does seem to be important to other countries, right? Reproducing the people they want to be citizens. And we reproduce people we don't want. This is kind of what we do. Right yeah. we don 't reproduce people we think are great people, we work hard to give people terrible jobs to give them no jobs to 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 fight a drug war, et cetera, et cetera <laughs> It seems like that's what we reproduce, so i'm again entangling everything here, and it 's not what I mean to do, but it 's hard for me yeah. to talk about these things
1: yeah no and, and I think that the the politics around a guaranteed basic income in the u s today are are risky hmm. they 're very risky and it's very complicated. And I think there's good reason to be nervous Mm -hmm. about it. And for me, I think the two major, I don't know, risks or dangers are that, A, um, as you said, you know, the argument will be, well, we'll cut all other kinds of transfer programs and service programs, and we'll just have this as our one sort of social welfare Mm -hmm. program in some ways. And I think that's a very dangerous proposition um, because I think that there's. We are not the same, and we have different kinds of needs as individuals and citizens, and I would hate to see that um, happen. The second is that the income would be set at such a low level that what it would really do is subsidize low-wage employers. Right. Um, And so, you know, then, you know, someone could justify paying such a low wage saying, well, people have access to other kinds of income through this guaranteed basic income. Right. And as a result, you know, it would just, you know, reproduce these kind of low wage employers and make that a sustainable business practice. Those are real dangers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that they should be, you know, sort of um, pushed under the rug in some ways. One could argue that you know, as in the case of health care reform, what you need to do is just open the door a little bit to make other kinds of future claims possible. And maybe you could make the same argument for basic income. Maybe if we want it, it might be at too low a level. And then over time, we'd be able to sort of raise that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I wouldn't, um, I, I I I would be very nervous about that. On the other hand, I don't really see another way to the future. Hmm. Given the problems with the wage work system, there's just not enough work to hmm. go around. And there's just not enough work at a living wage. I really don't see another option. And I see a lot of possibilities for not only, you know, allowing people to sustain their lives without – you know, the same relentless relationship to any kind of job, they might be able to have a better bargaining position to encourage employers to make the job better. It could allow people the opportunity to make more choices about their household arrangements, Mm -hmm. as they don't necessarily have to be in this situation in order to gain access to pooled income. In that sense, Mm -hmm. it's obviously going to help people whose necessary labor is not being rewarded with wages those people who are unemployed or precariously employed or underwaged. but it it's also i think it, it carries the possibility to do to, to sort of remedy some of the problems you were talking about earlier about the lack of imagination and mm-hmm. the unwillingness to experiment and one of the reasons like you know we don't check out is because again we can't afford to sure. right? right or you know I I mean, it's just a very kind of simple proposition at some point or, you know, how much of the day do we have Mm -hmm. afterwards, you know, after wage work and our other kinds of caring responsibilities in order to engage in this kind of speculation or experimentation. And I think even altering the relationship between work and income just a little bit would open up a lot of sort of um, space of the imagination as well, and the opportunity to do more experimenting, mm-hmm. and that might include also experimenting with different kinds of household arrangements. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, are people living in traditional family union units, or and are they spending their time off work shopping mm-hmm. because that's what they want to do, and that's why they engage in work in order to have this family life in these kinds of commodities, or are those compensation? Mm-hmm a life that's been sort of demoted of meaning because we're attached to these kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe if we altered the relationship to work just a little bit, it would open up more space for people to start thinking about doing other things with their non-work time mm-hmm. and living in different kinds of arrangements and having different ways of pooling income and organizing their lives.
0: Right. Well, that's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, – I like, this, I, I, like, I like this argument. I like this um, book. I like th- this particular way to think about things because one thing I get stuck with, and I'll be honest with you, is that I have um, uh, an idealizing tendency, right? Uh, so I am a, a proponent of your utopian thinking. Um, and one way this conversation uh, makes me think is that I can't do that. Right I have to recognize that this system in particular isn't going away that uh, you know a lot of people make these horrendous claims about just letting it crash and burn and let's see what's on the other side of it. of course, you know millions and millions and millions of people will not will not fare well there and I can't you know you can't abide by that kind of I mean I can't anyway imagine thinking that way is a good thing so. You know, you're sort of damned into reformism in a lot of ways, which, you know, in, in any revolutionary literature, you're, you're kind of the you're you're part of the problem <laughs> when you're a reformist. Yes. And, and one struggles with that because you would like to see things better. But in wanting things to be better, you seem to be accepting the system. And mm-hmm. that is a struggle also. Right. How, how, how you can say no to the system, say no to work, say what is post work? You know, as you, as you make these points, how do I say no to work and say no to the system and want to reform the system? You know, I'm accepting the system as it is by reforming it.
1: Yeah, no. And I think that those are real sort of dilemmas and they're ongoing dilemmas, but I think that the relationship between reform and revolution has to be rethought. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and i that's what i'm trying to do in some ways with this notion of a utopian demand mm-hmm. a demand for a tangible reform that would actually require some you know rather extensive restructuring in order to be achieved mm-hmm. and so this this notion of a utopian demand is a way to sort of rethink that relationship between mere reformism and ideal revolutionary mm-hmm. action um, And I I think that there's a kind of false opposition there. And I think there's ways to engage in reformism that doesn't sort of end in um, a more sustainable system that we already have. Mm -hmm. It actually might point to other possibilities and open up other ways of talking about things like work and other ways of imagining the relationship between life and work.
0: Hi-ho, that's our show. Here's the Dave Brubeck Quartet with Hi-ho, off of the 1957 album Dave Diggs Disney. I hope we've sent you off to reconsider how work might be different for all of us. Thanks to Kathy Weeks for her insights into the problem of work for workers in the capitalist imaginary. Her book, published by Duke University Press, is The Problem with Work, Feminism, Marxism, Anti-Work Politics, and Post-Work Imaginaries. Thanks for listening. A reminder, you can find this program along with other interchange programs available for podcast at our website, wfhb.org news interchange. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Assistant producer is Rob Schoon. Jennifer Brooks is our board engineer. And Jill Crawford is executive producer. Stay tuned for Counterspin, followed by the Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.